<clears throat> and uh, just going to do uh, a survey of it again, as we've been doing so far in the last uh, several months on these Old Testament books. <clears throat> uh, Lamentations is a rather short book. It's only five chapters long. And uh, it is a book of five poems of Lamentation. Uh, they're written by uh, Jeremiah. And as we studied last week when we studied the book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah prophesied primarily uh, to Judah, which is the southern kingdom, the two uh, tribes. Uh, and they have Jerusalem as their capital. And um, Judah has been, they, they've had more good kings than the northern kingdom of Israel uh, over the last uh, few hundred years. And uh, as a result of that, God has uh, been more long-suffering with the downfall of Judah and his judgment on them than he had been with Israel. Um, but we found out last week in Jeremiah that by the time God does bring judgment to Judah, that they had surpassed the wickedness of uh, the northern kingdom of Israel in, in the, the level of wickedness and idolatry that was going on. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we get to the book of Lamentations, the book of Lamentations was also written by uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah, but it was written uh, after the fall of, of Jerusalem, after Jerusalem had been destroyed uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who was the ruler of Babylon at the time. And if you'll remember back, um, Jeremiah was prophesying about the destruction of Judah by Babylon, even before Babylon was a world power. And because of that, he got a lot of ridicule. People weren't listening to him. They were, they were saying, oh, that's ridiculous. Uh, they're, the, the Assyrians, they're the ones that are uh, doing all this with uh, the northern kingdom and Israel. And they're, if anybody's going to get us, it'll be them. Babylon's just a, a no-name country out there right now, and you're, you're full of uh, just ridiculousness and your prophecies and you're a false prophet. And they um, persecuted him mercilessly. In fact, there was another prophet um, that uh, really gave Jeremiah a very hard time and even tried to kill him uh, for his prophecies. And uh, yet, uh, the truth is, Jeremiah's prophecies were right. They were true. Jeremiah is one of the contemporaries of Daniel and Ezekiel. Uh, that group of folks that were around during the Babylonian captivity. And while Daniel was uh, taken in captivity to Babylon, uh, Jeremiah was left behind. And so he stays there in uh, the city or right outside the city of Jerusalem. Is, uh, he lived about two miles or so outside of the city. Uh, so he's in very close proximity to it. And uh, this book is five different poems uh, of lamentation where he expresses his sorrow. And Jeremiah is known as the greatest prophet of Judah and also known as the weeping prophet. Uh, the book of Lamentations uh, was initially named in Hebrew and then uh, when it was translated into Latin and later when it was translated into Greek. The titles that were given to the book were all words in those languages that referred to weeping or sorrow. But not just a general weeping or sorrow that you would have. They were very, very specific in their words in those languages. And it was in reference to the weeping or sorrow that was found when there was a death and uh, something that you would experience perhaps in a funeral uh, service. And uh, so it kind of helps us to see as we know the, uh, the uh, historical naming of this book, the level of brokenness and sorrow 
uh, that Jeremiah has. This isn't just a sadness. This is a sorrow uh, at the death of his, of his country, at the, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, as if he had lost a family member, as if this had been a death in the family. And this is the level of sorrow that he has, both for himself and his people. And uh, it's interesting that because uh, he had been prophesying at this point, before the writing of this book, about 40 years It's interesting that when the fall of Judah comes, Jeremiah does not say, I told you so. He's not a prophet that comes on the scene and says, y'all just didn't listen to me. I told you this was going to happen, and you didn't listen. Instead, the response of Jeremiah is absolute brokenhearted. He is just, just mortified that the nation would not listen. They would not take heed. And so he writes these poems. It's interesting, if you look at it, there are 22 verses in all of the chapters except for the middle chapter, uh, five, five different chapters. And the middle chapter has 66 verses, which is a multiple of the 22. And the reason is he writes these poems, and this was kind of a style of writing back then, poem, poetic writing. He writes these in the form that's called an acrostic, and he uses the first letter uh, of the um, Hebrew alphabet to begin each of the book, each of the chapters. And each of the poems, and then he successively goes through the next letter, progressively goes through the, the alphabet as he, the Hebrew alphabet, as he writes um, these poems. And so uh, the, uh, there are five different ones. I'm going to give you very quickly uh, the, the general theme or gist of each of the poems. Uh, the first one, and each, each of these poems is uh, complete in the chapters that they reside in. So uh, it's real easy to break this book down into the first poem, chapter 1, second poem, chapter 2, and so on, uh, because the entirety of the poem that he writes is contained in that chapter. Uh, so the first one in chapter 1 deals with the destruction of Jerusalem. It's written from an eyewitness point of view. So Jeremiah was there and actually saw the destruction of Jerusalem take place under Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, not just from their enemies, but their own self-destruction as they begin to uh, decline and God begins to bring judgment upon them. And they go from, if you, can, if you can kind of get this in your mind, it wasn't that many generations ago that Israel was at its pinnacle in the, world, in the world's stage. Uh, under Solomon, uh, they had reached their height of glory and grandeur. And God's power was displayed to the whole world through His people. And now Israel has already fallen, the northern kingdom. Judah is the last bastion, if you will, of God's people that are still hanging on. And the destruction then comes upon them. And they have gone from a pinnacle of God's blessing to the subject of God's judgment. And by the way, Paul deals with that principle in Scripture He talks about guarding himself and making sure that there was not the pride that that so easily comes uh, up and and to become apathetic about things. Uh, He was so concerned that Paul used the phrase, he said, lest I myself should become a castaway. And the idea that um, when a man thinks he stands to take heed lest he fall. And uh, Israel was was in this, uh, this place, I believe. Shortly after Solomon's reign, Israel... Uh, prided themselves, took their ease, um, began to uh, become accustomed to and just kind of go through the motions of worshiping God rather than having a heart for Him. The idolatry began to, to creep in. And as we mentioned so many times in the study uh, throughout the Old Testament, 
oftentimes it begins with Israel intermixing with the heathen nations around them. And it's not long after that that the idolatry creeps in and they bring their idols in. And then we see the fall of Israel once again and the judgment of God coming. What, what a, and we see it so often in the Old Testament. Uh, what a vivid picture there is that ought to teach us this, that we need to be careful of our acquaintances, those that we hang around, those that we uh, involve our life with in an intimate way. And the Bible talks about the fact as Christians, we are to be salt and light, and we are to be in the world, but the Bible says we're not to be of the world. Uh, we're not to partake with, of the same things as the, as the world does. There needs to be a separation. There needs to be a difference there. There needs to be a setting of the candle on the candlestick. Uh, not that we're arrogant or think that we're better than anyone else, but that we've been saved by the grace of God. His Holy Spirit works inside of us, and the world needs to see this. And ministries that go around today teaching us that we ought not be distinct, uh, we ought to just blend in with the world. We ought to uh, look like the world and act like the world. I, I'm amazed at how many times I see uh, clips, video clips of, of churches, and they don't even have to be the mega churches anymore. Some of them are just little churches. And uh, the pastors get up, and uh, they have uh, ripped denim jeans and faded and, and a T-shirt on, and, and uh, their hair's a, 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 in a certain way, you know. I, I wouldn't preach on their hair. If I had hair, I'd probably wear it like theirs. But since I don't, I can get on to them about their hair. Um, but but, but they, try to, they try to look like, and then when they get up to preach, they don't, they don't preach. They dialogue. They, they discourse. Uh, they discuss. Um, they, they don't use the Word of God. They use um, uh, psychology and good thinking and good vibes and help people really feel good about themselves. And it's really a motivational speech is what it is. And they get up there and they, they want to use the jargon and the lingo and try to sound like the world and look like the world. And their, 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 their purpose in this is they say, well, we can, they can relate more to us if we're at their level. But the problem with that is we begin to act like the world, and the world sees no difference. The world doesn't have any desire for the things of God because they don't see that there is anything different about God and other than what they're already going through. So we've got to be careful um, not to involve ourselves and associate ourselves in worldly things uh, because over and over and over again we see the nation of Israel doing this uh, intermingling with the nations around them. They want to be like them. They try to emulate these other heathen nations. And, and can I just say this? This was a thought I had when I said that thought, uh, not to go off on the rabbit trail. But doesn't Satan always make the grass look greener in the world? I mean, he does, doesn't he? He, he uses that in the mind of a Christian to say, boy, if I could just have that. Uh, I, was, I was counseling a young person here recently <clears throat> about two weeks ago because they're struggling with some things in life, because they're so involved in, in social media. And all they do is they, they see uh, all these people posting on social media the good things of their life. And this person feels like, my life's not like that. I wish it was like that. But the truth is, those people that post on social media have their problems too. They just don't express them. They don't talk about them. And so we, we begin, if we're not careful, to live in an unrealistic mindset. And Satan is, is a master at causing worldliness and worldly living to look appealing. 
He doesn't show the negative sides of it. He doesn't show the negative effects of it. He doesn't show the cost of, of sinful living and uh, the, the idea of living um, uh, in the world in the way that the world does. And uh, he uses that to entice a lot of Christians who just don't know any better. And, uh, and I would encourage us to learn uh, from other people's mistakes. Let's learn from Israel's mistakes. Be careful of the acquaintances, the people that we associate with, the people we involve our lives around. Uh, we need to be careful of these things. So he deals with the destruction of Jerusalem in the first poem. The second poem in chapter 2 he deals with God's anger uh, against Israel or against Judah's sin, his anger against Judah's sin, and his coming judgment. In in chapter two or in the second poem, we find that there is God. God takes away through uh, through Babylon and the um, the conquering of uh, Judah. He takes away all their religious observations and, and observances. Uh, all the things that they were doing uh, to worship God in the temple. Understand that at this time there was already a neglect of it. There was already idolatry that had been established. But there were a remnant. There were a, a few that still continued faithful. And under this, God takes it away from them. Uh, this, this temple is destroyed. It's burned. It's sacked. And uh, it's destroyed. The palace is destroyed. The walls of the city are broken down and burned with fire and destroyed. Um, the priest and the prophets and the king himself are removed from their position of power. Um, and so their leadership is destroyed. Uh, and then the, the, the physical aspects of the city are destroyed. And so God, in his judgment, takes all of this away uh, from Judah. And they are uh, no longer a people that uh, the world looks at. In fact, you'll find as you read some of these, the ridicule, the despising that uh, the neighboring countries and, and peoples had towards Jerusalem specifically and Judah as a whole, uh, how much they, they ridiculed their fall. And, uh, and really, it brings a, a reproach to the people of God. And the, the truth is, it wasn't God who brought the reproach, was it? That's why I think it is so critical when... Uh, when we're looking and analyzing even our own lives, that we say, Lord, help me not to bring a reproach to you through my life, through my, uh, my testimony. Uh, because the truth is, God doesn't bring the reproach. Uh, we, we do it in our own sinful way. We bring His judgment upon us. We bring those things that oftentimes have to be done for the sake of bringing our hearts back to Him. And uh, then the third one, the third poem in chapter 3, deals... Uh, where uh, Jeremiah specifically is praying for God's mercy. Uh, we're going to look a little bit in chapter 3 here in just a few moments. The chapter 4, or the fourth poem, deals with the siege of Jerusalem and how horrible it was um, uh, for the siege that was taking place. And understand, uh, back then they had several ways to fight battles and wars. Sometimes they would line up armies on either side and they would sometimes either send out a champion and only the two champions would fight, and whoever the champion was, they would agree, would win the battle, and the rest would go home. Other times, the whole, the whole armies would fight, uh, one with the other. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a tactic in uh, conquering the world. Of, he had such a powerful army, he would come and surround these cities and cut them off. And he does so to Jerusalem for almost two years. 
they, they cannot go out and harvest their crops, so food becomes a shortage. Uh, the nation of Judah uh, begins to kill their own children. Uh, and I know this sounds horrible, but they would eat, eat their children because of the starvation that was going on. Uh, there, there was just a, an unbelievable uh, suffering in, in this city during this time of Nebuchadnezzar's siege and, uh, that lasts almost two years. And so we find uh, chapter 4, the fourth poem, deals with this and the heartache and the brokenness of Jeremiah. And then the last poem is uh, chapter 5, where Jeremiah begins to pray and ask God uh, for the restoration of his people. The restoration of his people. And again, through all of these, there is a brokenness. Uh, I want us to take a moment, though, and let's look at a couple things here uh, regarding uh, the, uh, the, the right in the middle of these poems, chapter number 3. In the middle of all the sorrow, all of the destruction, uh, I would go so far as to say all of the hopelessness, because it had actually brought not only uh, the, the, well, the people of Israel, or people of Judah specifically, it had brought them to a place of hopelessness. They, they just don't know where else to turn. I mean, they're, they're at the point of being destroyed. Everything's been taken from them. Their kings, their leaders, their religion, uh, the religious practices, even the city itself has been destroyed. Many of their young people uh, are being led off into captivity. Um, and, and there's just a hopelessness that takes place there. But right in the middle of this, uh, there's, there's mourning, there's sorrow, uh, in chapter number 3, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me. And I want us to look at a couple of things here. In verse 1 through 18, in chapter number 3, uh, Jeremiah kind of goes back and recaps some of the observations he's already made in his first two poems. And that is the, the judgment of God coming upon Judah, the, uh, the situation they're in, the horrible situation. Look in verse number 2. The Bible says, "...He hath led me and brought me into darkness." But not into light. Surely against me he is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. And so you can you can hear uh, the sorrow that Jeremiah has, uh, and and he's not just grieving for his his own people. He's grieving for himself, and he he feels the pain of his own people, and uh, and and so he recalls this in verses one to eighteen of chapter number three. But then something amazing happens right in the middle of all of this. Look with me in verse number 19. Remembering my affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, speaking of how horrible this was, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Wait a minute. Uh, if you read chapters 1 and 2, and up to this point in chapter number 3, there is no hope expressed. In fact, if anything, there is a display of hopelessness. And right in the middle, Jeremiah says, but I have hope. I have hope. These folks didn't know what in the world to do. I mean, their whole lives were in shambles. Uh, could you imagine being so hungry that you were willing to sacrifice your own children? There are indications in, in chapter 4 and in chapter number 5 when the judgment of God comes, especially in chapter 4 on the siege that takes place, where it speaks of the fact that God was more tolerable for Sodom than He was in the judgment of Judah. 
because the Sodomites did not have to suffer and linger under the judging hand of God. It was an instantaneous cutting off. And it even speaks of the fact that there are those that die by the sword that are better off than those that are dying from the siege. And so you can understand the wretched conditions that this brings, the, the absolute heartbreak. And I, I can't overstate it. I want us to get this picture in our minds and the understanding of the situation that Judah is in for their sin. Uh, th- there is a hopelessness here. And I'm not talking about just, uh, boy, I don't know what I'm do- going to do. I can't pay my bill this month. There is an absolute despair and hopelessness of life to where the people would, would rather pray to be killed than to go on living the way that they were living. And notice what it says here is, as Jeremiah says um, in verse number, uh, tw- uh, verse number uh, 21, he says, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. And this is what he recalled that gave him hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope quietly, hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be that there may, if so be, there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. In the middle of all of this, Jeremiah says, But I have hope, because I know that God is faithful, and He will not utterly consume us. He will, in the end, deliver us again. He will restore us again. And in the middle of of absolute dejection and hopelessness and understanding the situation therein, Jeremiah said, when I recalled this, it gave me hope. And boy, what a thought. What a thought. For this cause, let's look at, I'm sorry, let's look down verse, um, uh, let's go to verse number 38. Let's go to verse number 37. Who is he that saith? And it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not. Out of the mouth of the Most High proceedeth not evil and good. Wherefore doth a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. I mean, wait a minute, it's the Lord that's judging us. That kind of goes against human nature, doesn't it? To turn to the one that's bringing the judgment for the help? How could he do this? He remembered that the Lord is good, that the Lord is faithful. Notice in verse 42, it says, I'm sorry, verse number 41, Let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered with anger and persecuted us. Thou hast slain. Thou hast not pitied. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayers should not pass through. Thou hast made us as the offscoring of the, and refused in the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare has come upon us, desolation and destruction. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission till the Lord look down and behold from heaven. Mine eye affecteth 
my heart because of all the daughters of my city. Mine enemies chased me, sore like a bird without cause. They have cut off my life in the dungeon and cast a stone upon me. Waters flowed over mine head. Then I said, I am cut off. I called upon Thy name, O Lord, out of the low dungeon. Notice verse 56. I love this. Thou hast heard my voice. Isn't that a wonderful promise? I mean, Jeremiah is about as low as you can get. He's a man who is weeping. He's a man who is broken. And yet he cries unto the Lord because he knows that God will hear him. Thou, look in verse number 57. Thou drewest near in the day that I called upon thee. Thou saidest, Fear not. O Lord, Thou hast pleaded the causes of my soul. Thou hast redeemed my life. O Lord, Thou hast seen my wrong. Judge Thou my cause. Thou hast seen all the vengeance and all their imaginations against me. Thou hast heard their reproach, O Lord, and all their imaginations against me. What an amazing thought that in the middle of absolute hopelessness, Jeremiah says, when I recall this, I have hope. God is good. God is long-suffering. If it were not for His mercies, we would be consumed. And these mercies, this compassion, He gives them to us every morning. Every morning they're new. By the way, Jeremiah is not the only one who's experienced this, is he? The truth is, when we look at our hopeless condition, the fact that we're sinners and deserve death and hell, is only by God's everyday new compassions that He gives to us, His mercy that is so prolonged and long-suffering with us. It's only by that that you and I are not consumed every day. Do we deserve to be consumed? Absolutely. Do we deserve to die and go to hell? Absolutely. But I'm thankful for His loving kindness and His mercy. I'm thankful that God gives us a wonderful opportunity to know Him and to fellowship with Him again. Let's look at the Christ of Lamentations very quickly. We'll just look at a couple things here. The picture of the weeping prophet himself, Jeremiah, is somewhat of a figure of Christ. Um, because we find in, in Matthew chapter 23, in verse number 37 and 38, if you have your Bible, turn there quickly with me. Matthew chapter number 23. And let's look in chapter uh, verse number 37. Jesus is speaking here, and He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them with, uh, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And even the Lord Jesus Christ stood above Jerusalem, and was broken for them, and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, uh, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks. And so we find this heart that Jeremiah exhibits in the book of Lamentations being very similar to the, the brokenness that Christ has over six centuries later over His own people, the brokenness that He feels for them and their rejection of Him. Isaiah chapter 53, if you'll remember back, depicts Christ 
as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and being despised and rejected. If you'll remember those, uh, many of you are familiar with that. Uh, look in Lamentations for a moment in chapter number uh, 1. Lamentations 1. And let's look in verse 12. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of His fierce anger. And Jesus was referred to in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Also in chapter 3, in verse number 14, Jeremiah speaks of this. He said, uh, I was in derision. Do I have, let me see here if I got the right verse. I'm sorry, 319. Uh, remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. And he's speaking here of the brokenness, the bitterness with which his heart is, is afflicted. And uh, we find that Jeremiah is uh, seen as afflicted here, the way that Christ was seen as afflicted in Jeremiah, or Isaiah 53. Uh, in Lamentations chapter 2, uh, verse 15 and 16, we find that uh, Jeremiah was despised. Uh, Judah itself was despised by its enemies, and Jeremiah specifically because of the prophet. In chapter 3, in verse number 14, and also in chapter 3, in verse number 30, we find again Jeremiah is despised, and he is rejected by his own people. And again, just a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who when he comes is also despised, and rejected by his own people. There are three distinct themes that are given. There's a mourning over the plight of Jerusalem uh, under God's judgment. There is a theme of confession of sin and acknowledgement that God's judgment is righteous. Boy, isn't that wonderful to be able to get to that point? None of us enjoy the, the, the judgment of God. But all that we could get to the place that if or when it comes in our life, we understand that He is right in doing so. That we don't have bitterness at Him for this. But there's a brokenness, understanding that the righteous, just God of heaven has every right to do what He's done because we've deserved it. If God decided that He did not want to save man and send us to hell, He would be well within His rights to do so, wouldn't He? He sure would. It's only by His mercies and His grace. And by the way, doesn't that make His mercy and His grace that much sweeter to us when we understand the justice of God, the righteousness of Him? And then the third theme is there's hope in God's future restoration of His people. For, for Jeremiah to be able to rejoice uh, that God will restore His people once again. I don't care how hopeless life gets. There's always the opportunity, there's always the, the possibility of, of being restored. We don't always know when His timing is. In this case, God judges Judah based on their neglect of some Sabbaths uh, that they had done, and there's a specific time period that's given for them. And uh, they, they are very, very uh, specific in the amount of time that God has them under the, the captivity of Babylon to the day almost uh, of time. But there is always the hope. There's always the hope that He's long-suffering, He's merciful, He's faithful, and He will always bring them back to Him. Uh, the key, uh, key verses here uh, are ch chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Uh, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. The key chapter, I think, is chapter 3, uh, where it does deal with the reflection and understanding of God's judgment. And yet also having the realization, the reminder, 
of God's deliverance. And uh, there are some wonderful, wonderful truths. If you've never read through Lamentations, it's not one of those books that uh, most people look at and read, say, I'm going to read it all the time or read it often. Uh, and if you're not careful, you'll begin reading it and you'll think, oh, what a, this is one of those books that just, it's, it's negative. It's all pessimistic. It's all about God's judgment. But look at the truth that's found in it. That in the midst of His judgment, there's still love. There's still mercy. There's still the hope of restoration. Look at the teaching and the lessons that are given on the issues of, uh, of uh, repentance and uh, coming to God with a broken and a contrite spirit and uh, seeking for God's uh, forgiveness of these things. And uh, then uh, the recognition of God's absolute almighty authority and power given uh, to, uh, to, uh, that He has that uh, He uses in the life of Judah specifically uh, in this book. Uh, to bring them back to Him. And it helps us to understand, I think, sometimes, uh, a little bit of the background. Uh, what are the historical things that are taking place during this time? What's the situation religiously with uh, Judah? Uh, how long God has dealt with them before He brought judgment? It took 40 years of, of uh, Jeremiah prophesying before God brings judgment to Judah. And uh, certainly God is a long-suffering God. I don't think any of us sitting here today would doubt that or, or deny that because all we have to do is look at our own lives and see how many times He has been long-suffering with us, how many times He has uh, been gracious and merciful when really the truth is He had every right to not be. And uh, the wonderful, wonderful book, I, I loved reading it and studying it again uh, recently in the last uh, week or so, and uh, just a lot of uh, just there were points where I, I shed tears. There were points where my heart just welled up within me, and I thought, "Boy, how great our God is!" And uh, I think as we read Scripture, uh, we ought to look for God in the Scriptures and see what it tells us about Him. And I'll tell you, that's that's what draws our hearts closer to Him. That's what causes us to love Him more as we get to know Him more through His Word. And uh, I hope that'll be a help to you. Let's uh, go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word, and Lord, how it blesses our heart, how it helps us to know You, how it causes us to have our hearts drawn to You. And Father, we rejoice in that today. We thank You for uh, recording all of these things. Lord, You didn't have to uh, put all this history in a book for us and all these uh, lessons and truths that You wanted us to